Well, I don't know if you've been out to eat, out to a store, but this sign is becoming very common. The whole world is short-staffed. Please be kind to those who showed up. We appreciate you, right? Have you seen some version of that sign out there? Seems like any kind of restaurant or play, any kind of service thing has that basic sign. We're understaffed. Please be patient with us. We're doing our best. We're understaffed. Uh, even just, just last night, it was, uh, it was actually prom at our house. We had two kids at pr- going to prom, so Heather and I were going different directions. She was doing hair all day. And uh, so we finally caught up, and we're going to one location, and she hadn't eaten dinner. So we pull into taco time, and uh, she was going to get her standard taco, beef taco salad with mild salsa and guac. So I pull up to the drive up. We got to take her here. Mark will take you out to lunch. Anyone looking for tacos today? So, uh, um, so we pull up there and nothing happens. I'm at the drive up window. Nothing's happening. So I wait and I'm like, well, maybe they didn't see that we're here or hear it. So I wait and I finally say, well, maybe I got to talk. Hello. Nothing, and I waited a little while. I was like, what's going on? I found, Hello? Like, oh, we'll be with you in a minute to finally check in, you know, wait a little longer. Or what can we, do, what can we get you? Like the beef taco salad. We're out of beef. <laughs> How is taco time out of beef? You can't be a taco store and not have beef. I know there's chicken, but nobody wants chicken. I want beef, so... Somebody wants chicken. I, but I was just, and it was just kind of, that's how it is. Like, yeah, we have no beef. And it wasn't that late yet. I thought, man, they're going to go all night telling people we're out of beef. We have no beef. But it's just this, uh, we're just kind of getting used to it, right? You, you just get used to shortages. You just get used to, yeah, we don't have that in stock. Uh, we get used to, yeah, that, we'll get that work done at your house in 9 to 12 weeks, 9 to 12 weeks, I guess that's when we can get someone to you. It's just, it's just, that's things that haven't come back. And so we've just kind of accepted, yeah, that's out of, that's out of stock. No one's here to do that. That's just how it is. And so you just kind of go with the drift on that. Because what do you do? You can't melt down in taco time. Some people do, but I don't want to be that guy on the news. Pastor throws fit because they didn't have ground beef. But uh, you just deal like, all right, I don't have chicken. Well, beans, that's fine. And so you just accept it. You move with it. It's reality. I hope it'll get better. I don't know if it'll get better. It's how it is. And I bring that up to think about the same thing can happen to our spiritual life. You just can go with the drift. Just like we've kind of had to accept, you know, things are different now. It can also happen with your faith that you can drift away with your surroundings. People around you can move away from God. Friends can move away from God. Culture can move away from God. And if you're not vigilant, if you're not on it, if you're not paying attention, you can drift away from God. It can just seem not even like a major change, but as time goes by, there can be drift. So we're going to talk about not drifting today. And so we're in this book of Ezra and Nehemiah, and I'll show you how the, where the drift comes from. But let me just, re- just give you the quick rundown of how we got here in this book. This is the, the history timeline. Babylon conquers Judah in 605 B.C. Judah is the land of Jerusalem, the people of God. 
And so, and they, three different times, they came in and took people out. That was their method. They destroyed Jerusalem in 587 B.C. They finally just leveled it, crushed the temple, took everything out, took people away. And so God's people are in exile in Babylon. Persia takes over, and King Cyrus amazingly says, go back, rebuild the temple. Go back, and it was this moment where God is moving. God's fulfilling promises. We get to restore this place of worship. So they rebuild it, and we, we were reading about this last week in Ezra 6. They, they actually rebuild it. They rebuild the temple. They finish it in 518 B.C. So this is kind of the just timeline that's happening. That was under King Darius. You can see his reign there to 486. Then a new king comes in named King Xerxes in 485 B.C. This is where you get the story of Queen Esther. So just seeing how your Bible might fit together. Queen Esther is right in there. Then the next king is Artaxerxes, 465 to 424 B.C. He's the king of Persia. And so Ezra chapter 7, where we're going today, is 458 B.C. So they finished the temple in 518 B.C. Now we're, is that 60 years later? Later, okay. It's hard to do B.C. math quickly. So... uh, the point is, from the moment they finish the temple and God's worship's reestablished to when Ezra comes in chapter 7, there's been a long time. Have the people stayed faithful? Have they drifted? They're not a sovereign nation. They're still under the Persian reign. He's still over the land. They allowed him to rebuild the temple, but they don't govern themselves. There's all kinds of different people groups around them. What kind of influence are they having? So there's an awful a lot of opportunity to drift back away from God. God does a great thing, and then you drift. Just like we were singing about, just prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's what Ezra's concerned about. There's been a long time. What's happening? So we've been looking at that, and at the same time, you're going, how does this fit us? You know, I don't care about 500 B.C., and we're in 2022 A.D. Let's catch it up. But this book I've been laying alongside this series has shown that just like God's people were dealing with exile and challenges, we today have a similar kind of thing. We're not exiled to another country, but these authors have talked about living in digital Babylon. Right? There's a new thing reigning. It's di- the digital world, and there's all kinds of ideas and thoughts and challenges and truth and what's not true flowing around. And so it's a challenge to stay on track, to, be, to have faith in the middle of a digital exile right he calls digital babylon as the pagan but spiritual hyper-stimulated multicultural imperial crossroads that is the virtual home of every person with wi-fi data plan or both right? that's what we've been seeing how this intersects our lives in a similar way they had other rulers and other ideas over them and we are in a similar culture but it comes digitally it's digitally influenced more than a, another kingdom reigning over you So what we've been wanting to do is talk about cultivating a faith for exile. How do we follow Jesus? How do we not drift? Faith for exiles means by contrast that we, young and old alike, trust that Jesus is Lord even in chaotic, pixelated, no rules, digital Babylon. We're still following Jesus. We still believe he's Lord no matter what's happening. Just like Ezra's trying to say, let's follow God even though there's all these other kingdoms and ideas reigning over us. 
So they say, we propose that the goal of discipleship today is to develop Jesus followers who are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion and who live a vibrant life in the spirit. So that's how we have laid these together, right? What Ezra's seeking to do and his people were seeking to do. The influences are different, but they're not that different. So here we go. We got them together. We want to resist the drift. Resist the drift. Devoted to the word, living by faith. Devoted to the word, living by faith. I'm going to show you those today. What does it mean to be devoted to the word? What does it mean to be living by faith? How does that help us resist the drift? So, we're in chapter 7. Enter Ezra. In this book we're reading by his name, this is the first time he actually comes on the scene. Everything up to chapter 7 he's been writing about that happened before him. He's using records and stories. But in chapter 7... Ezra actually shows up. So this is Ezra entering in. Okay, we're in 458 BC. Now, after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now, here we go. We're going to do this fast. Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zariah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishu, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. Aren't you glad we? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you glad we don't introduce ourselves that way? I'm Ryan, son of Russ, son of Clarence, son of Asa. I don't know anymore after that. I know those four. I got the. So the point actually is not a weird introduction. The point is it's linking Ezra to Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother. Aaron was the first priest of Israel. So he's saying he's linking, they're linking him in a genealogy that he comes from a long line of people whose job was to help God's people worship and know God. So that's, he's linking him to that. So verse six says, Ezra, this Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel had given. And the so let's just stop there. Yeah, there's a definition. He's skilled. It means a scribe of the highest efficiency, a professional of the highest order. He's on it. He is studying everything he can study in God's word. I don't know everything it says and everything it means. Scribes often recorded to and wrote it out for other generations. So he was, just imagine that, <laughs> copying He's making sure that it gets done. He was not born in Israel. He was not born in Jerusalem. He's not lived in the land. So he's someone far away who's dedicated himself to God's word of the highest order. So that's Ezra. I'm all in on studying God's word. The second half of that verse says, And the king granted him all he had asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. So here's the situation. Ezra comes on the scene, and he makes a request to travel to Jerusalem and check on the spiritual state of the people. Earlier in the book we've been studying, we had guys like Jehosha and Zerubbabel and these guys. They were coming to build. It was a construction project. We need to go rebuild the temple. We need to fix God's stuff up. Ezra is saying, I'm not coming to build anything. I'm coming to check on the people's spiritual state. I said, it's just been 60 years since the temple's built. Time has passed. 
prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. How are they doing? Do they still follow God's word? Are they reading his word? Is it central to their life? Have this group pulled them and pushed them in different directions? So he's specifically going to check on how are the people doing following God. So here we go. Resist the drift, devoted to the word, living by faith. So the first one here I want us to look in is the devoted to the word. I want you to see how Ezra was devoted to the word. So look here in verse 7. It says, And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites and singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. From the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. Right, you thought a four-hour drive to Shalan was troubling in the car. How about a four-month walk? Right? Think of the fight you get in with, the kid, with your brother on that trip. So anyways, four-month walk. Verse 10, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. I want to break that verse down right there. Verse 10 is huge. I'm going to just walk through every little piece of it. They're going, he says, I'm going back. He had set. He had set. He had decided. He had a firm conclusion. He was bent on it. I am going to do this thing. There's no change in my mind. He had set his heart. It's not external. It's not just a job. He's like, I'm doing this. This is the core of my existence. I'm gonna, I've decided to set my heart, my inner being, my mind, my will to study. Study is different than read, right? You can read and walk away, but study is to read repeatedly, to search out the meaning, to seek, to consult. When you're reading the Bible, how often do you read and go, what is that? Constantly, right? I am. I can't. What's that mean? You write, I'm going to write that question down, and I'm going to find the answer. What does this mean? Why are they saying that? What was happening in that time and place? What is going on here? He, he set his mind to study it. What was God saying? Why was he saying? What does it mean? What do we do here? And to do it. Ooh. Not just to know, but obey, to make it happen. Very important. I think this is where we can get hung up in, in the Western world. We want to know what God's Word said and write books about what God's Word says and read books about what God's Word says. And are you doing it? You can know, no, 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 and then not actually put it into practice. So Ezra says, I want to study it. I want to completely understand everything, but then I want to actually do it. I want to obey God with his help. I want to do it. And then, and to teach it. That's a good order. <laughs> I'm going to learn it, I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to teach it. Because how many of you like the do as I say, not as I do method? <laughs> right? Yeah, that goes over real well, right? Especially with your teenagers. You guys need to stop completely at this light, but phew, I'm taking that corner. Just do what the driver's ed instructor says. Don't worry about how I'm driving. But, right? So he said... I'm going to do it, then I'm going to teach it. I put this into practice, and this is how it works. I put this into my life, this is how it works. In Israel. So he's going back home. 
That's where he's going back. So he set his heart. He's completely committed, dedicated from the internal point of view to study, to do, to teach, to check on his people. Are we drifting? Are we drifting? Now, Jerusalem, where he's going, it's still a multicultural, pluralistic place. When they took Judah out, they brought all these other people moved in. Lots of different people had settled. Now, I want to make sure this, you don't hear this. The issue is not ethnic diversity. This is not a racial thing. Like all these other races came in here and those are bad races. Therefore, this is not an ethnic and racial problem. It's a religious problem. These people groups had historic gods they worshipped that they brought. And the problem was, one, they're not God. And number two, their worship is awful. Some of these people groups regularly practice child sacrifice. And then Israel starts doing it. A lot of their worship included temple cult prostitution. Right? And it was all the promise of wealth and prosperity. And it's a lot of fear-based stuff. Appease the gods and then your crops will grow. And, and appease the gods and then your family will be productive. And so they were pulled into it. So again, when he's going to check on them, it's not the fact that there are other nationalities and ethnicities around them. It's will they influence them to abandon the true God? That's the question. Because it could go the other way. They're going to show these other people groups, this is the God of heaven. This is the truth. Worship him. That, that possibility was there. So that's the issue. I don't want you to, to hear that it's a, it's a racial thing. It's a worship thing. Are we worshiping God? That's what got them in trouble. <laughs> that's why they were deported. That's why God let them be taken out, because they turned to all the other gods. So, resist the drift devoted to the word. Ezra set his whole life, his whole heart on, I want to know God's word, I want to obey God's word, and I want to teach it to my people, I want to teach it and communicate it. Because all around them are different and opposing ideas. So let me lay that alongside our, uh, my Faith for Exiles book. They're saying the same thing, but the different ideas don't necessarily need different people groups, they just need different websites. The problem, they say, we want to identify in this chapter is the challenge of trying to find real, livable wisdom in an accelerated, complex culture. Instantaneous access to information does not equal wisdom, right? You can find the answer on Google, but is it the right answer? I remember this is the simplest thing. I had to change the headlight on our Yukon, right? And, and so if you never change the headlight, you don't take the thing out of the front. There's a little hole in the back and a little bulb goes in and out. So, but there's stuff in there. So I just did what all good mechanics do is I YouTubed it. Should have called Gary. Should have called you, Gary. So I YouTube it. And channel, the first guy says, will you get underneath here and you take this fender wall thing out here and you unscrew this? And I went, What? not going to get underneath there and take the fender wall. I'm changing the light bulb. Next video, same thing. You get under here and you undo this whole thing and you drop this panel out. And I'm like, I'm cha- no. Next video. It's the same thing. I get down like eight videos and this guy's like, listen, all the other videos that tell you to take your fender apart are stupid. Here's what you do. You pull this thing, you reach your hand in there, you turn it. I was like, oh, finally. I didn't take my whole fender apart. I just opened, you know, it takes a little feel and squeezing, but I got it. Don't think I said any garage words and my light works, okay? So the point is, 
You can have instant access to information, but is it truth? Is it wisdom? Is it helpful? And the trick with this online is the answers come based on your searching. So the magic algorithm sends you things based on what it thinks you're looking for. So you can start turning down a road and you're getting access, but is it true? It's not neutral. It's coming from different angles. So that's our challenge. They had different ideas coming from different religions. We've got it coming from every corner of Reddit. So young people in emerging generations are unclear about who to believe and where to turn for input and advice. It's a good thing that the internet might provide some answers to mental health questions. That's a common search, by the way. But is it really the best and deepest and most godly place for finding the truest answers? The undercurrent of all this might be best described as escalating anxiety. That's what they're finding. Students, younger generations, the anxiety levels are high. And you think more information would actually help, but it actually makes it harder because it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And they're doing this, and I'm seeing kids doing that, and they're answering like this, and it actually overwhelms. And what is right, and how do I even sort it out? And so you're anxiety levels are up right now. They're high. So it says, I love this line, far from being anti-tech. Like you could be sitting through this going, is this guy, you know, dinosaur, say bury your phone? No. Far from being anti-tech, we are anti-foolishness. We don't want to live your life based on foolish answers. So it says, at the broadest level, the pursuit of wisdom what we are calling cultural discernment, you know, how do I live God's principles in my time, cultural discernment, is the godly answer to rising complexity and its symptom anxiety. Let's say that again. We can ratchet anxiety down and ratchet resilience up by cultivating wisdom. Scripture provides many insights about the role of wisdom in the life of disciple. How do you handle your money? A lot of scriptures talk about that. How do you handle relationships? How do I base my identity? Who am I? Where do I come from? What is my sexuality? All of that, God speaks wisdom on that. One more from, from the book here. It says, as Christians today, we too should aim to be an exilic community. It's a community in exile that seeks God's direction under the authority of Scripture. This dovetails with the themes we discussed in the previous chapter that we should orient ourselves toward the voice of Jesus in our lives. How? We acknowledge that the Bible is our authoritative source for wisdom and wisdom is held up as a worthy but rarely traveled path. So you take it from scripture, people, well, you really believe that? Yeah, because it's a loving God. My youngest son is right now in lawnmower training. Very trained TT up. TT's got TJ's lawn service going. He's mowing lawns all over the neighborhood. He's got some big business going. Are you buying lunch today? He's not buying lunch today. So, so now it's Kellen's turn. So I got Kellen out mowing yesterday, and I said, your shoe's untied. He ties it. The shoe comes untied. I said, buddy, you've got to tie your shoes. He said, well, would it get caught in the blade? I said, it just might if you stand next to it. Tie your shoe, you know. I could have said, nah, he'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. But the whole idea is, uh, I care. I actually care. I want him to have a foot. So I say, <laughs> die your shoe. It's that simple. God's word is filled with our hope. It's filled with truth. It's filled with guiding us. In, and it takes some work. 
right? It takes what we're doing. How does what's happening in Ezra work out in today's culture? You've got to think about it. We've got to ask questions. But God's word does speak to it. So students, let me just encourage you to get in the word, especially. Get in the word, test things. Google's actually a pretty good search engine to get you started. Like, where does the Bible talk about? It actually does bring up, uh, you can often find places to start. So I'm not saying don't ever use Google. What verses talk about anxiety? A lot of good searches come up on that. But then go to the Bible verse and read it. Okay, so that's the first way we resist the drift. We're devoted to the word. We're devoted to God's word. We want to hear what he says. That's what Ezra's whole point was. Time has gone on. How are the people doing? I'm going to teach them the word. Next one is resist the drift, living by faith. Living by faith. I'm going to show you this in two ways. One is that God can move anyone, and then we'll talk about a vivid faith. I've been amazed. Over and over in this book, we've seen God move the hand of these foreign kings. Right? He moved Cyrus. He's moved Darius. We skip over the story of Xerxes doesn't appear. Now we're going to see what he does to an Artaxerxes heart. He can move anyone because it can feel like we're stuck. Feels like, how's anything going to happen? So we're going to look at uh, 7 verse 11. It's a little longer section I'm going to read. I'll stop at certain points. But this is the official document that Artaxerxes gives to Ezra when he goes back. And I want you to just see several things here that God is doing. Verse 11. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest. So it's, it's not a letter like, how you doing? And we caught three fish at summer camp. It's like official document, right? This is the legal instructions I have. Describe a man learned in matters of, of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven. You wonder how he knew to call him that. I have one thought. Could, could it be that his dad was Xerxes, married to Queen Esther, that some stories were told in the, of God. I don't know. That's, he knows he's the God of heaven. Peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. So anybody wants to go, you can go. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. So the king is saying, go back there and find out how they're following the law. I had a friend named Jonas for years wanted to be a missionary. And he finally ended up being an army chaplain. And he said, the U.S. government is paying me to teach the Bible to people. This is kind of what it is. The king, go, go and check on how God's word's being taught. The king's sending him. And also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. He's like, I'm going to pay for it. Here's a bunch of money to go restore the worship and check on it. It says, with all the silver and gold that you find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the freewill offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. So he's saying, use this to fund the sacrificial system. He said, I'm paying for it. 
Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. Wow, he got a blank check. Use the money by that and anything else that seems good to you to do. The vessels that have been given for you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. It's like, I'm just going to pay for it. I'm going to pay for anything you need for this worship. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river, whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence. So he's saying when you go to all the people in the local area to get the money, give it to them, right? No government red tape, no filling out 38 forms, just give it to them, right? Up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt, without prescribing how much. I don't know why he can have as much salt as he wants, but that's the deal. Whatever is decreed by the, by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. Whatever is decreed. He says, Anything that God says to do, you do it. I mean, it's just amazing to me. Verse 24. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, Levites, and singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. Double bonus, they don't have to pay taxes, all the people that work at the temple. Man, I want that deal. I just wrote a nice check uh, here a few weeks ago. I'm going to send in this next time. Good. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them, you shall teach. So the king is saying, if people there don't know what God's word says, then you teach them. And I'm authorizing you to do it, and I'm paying for you to do it. And one more bonus, whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king Let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. So there's authority with it. It just amazes me. I'm going to pay for it. I want you to teach him. Anything that needs to be done, I'm funding it. So verse 27 is Ezra breaking in here with his thanksgiving prayer. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. So he tells why the king did it. God put it into his heart. God put it into his heart and it gave courage to Ezra. So let me give this in a practical way, right, that God can move anyone today. We watched this a few weeks ago. Um, Eric did a great job setting up uh, the men's ministry lunch, and we watched this movie, Free Burma Rangers. I really encourage you to watch it. I really do. It was great. So the story, basically, I'll do it fast, is this guy named Dave grew up as a missionary kid. And he didn't feel like he was called to be a missionary, so he joined the Army Rangers. So he just just loves the discipline, loves the military. I think he was 10 years in, and his dad 
was in Burma, or I'm not going to get all this right, calls them up and says they need you in Burma. And Burma had been locked in civil war for years, and a lot of it was perpetrated by the government, and they would often harm their own citizens. So he said, I don't know what you can do, just go. So he said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to go there. He tells this gal he's dating, yeah, I'm going to Burma to live in the jungle where there's civil war. You want to get married? She's like, yeah, I'm in. So <laughs> they get married. They raise their family. So he, he says, I don't even know what I'm going to do. He's got all the military thing. He's got a couple backpacks of medicine. And he goes in there and prays, God, I don't know what you want me to do. And some other guys come out of the bush. And they're like, we want to help. They just bombed over here in this other jungle. And he's like, well, I've got medicine. Like, let's go. So they go in. And so basically, it starts this group of people that call themselves the Free Burma Rangers. And they go in and they offer medical care to places that have just been bombed. And the other thing they do is they take lots and lots and lots of pictures. Because in a situation like that, the government was doing lots of, oh, everything's fine. We're not enslaving our people. Everything's fine. And so truth wasn't getting out. So they would feed pictures and videos out. They said, oh, they say they're not enslaving people anymore. Look at these people that were just enslaved and forced to carry water. And so, so that's what they do. And so people join to them and join to them. And so that's, that's what they do. They offer help. They take pictures. They keep a military physical fitness regimen because they're hiking through the jungles and mountains of Burma. And so they've been doing it for years. And they pray over everything, just filled with prayer. But at a moment came when ISIS took over Iraq. And it was just disastrous. And people were hurting everywhere. And somehow somebody called them and said, we need your team in Iraq. We need you here. You got to do whatever you're doing in Burma. We need it in Iraq. This is bad. Story's not getting told. So they don't even, they're like, all right, I guess we're going to Iraq. We've been living in the jungle. We're going to the desert. We don't even know how this works. So he gets a team. They show up in Iraq. And at this time, the Iraqi army is trying to retake the country. So he meets there and he meets the general of the Iraqi army. And he's talking to him and kind of saying, this is what we do. We want to help. And, um, he hears, and he says, God, I want to pray. He always prayed, constantly. And he felt the Holy Spirit say, pray on your knees. And he, in the, you know, if, you, if ever the Holy Spirit talks to you, you can sometimes argue with him. You ever argue with? I do. He's thinking, I don't pray on my knees by myself. Why am I going to pray on my knees in front of this guy? I don't even know this guy. And he's here, pray on your knees. So he gets down and he prays on his knees to the Lord, you know, protect this general, help us do our thing. I don't remember the prayer, but the general looked at him and said, you're like me. You know, you're not God and you respect God. So you can go anywhere you want in my country. It was like, whoa, all because he bowed down and the guy saw the respect for God, even though they, he didn't, doesn't quite understand that Jesus is God. He saw reverence. So they go, and you have to watch the movie. I'm not going to give it away. But the point was, God moved the hand of the general of the Iraqi army to give these people permission to go in and help and rescue. It can be done. God can move now. It was cool. Uh, and then the next week, Tyler back here, he called me up. He said, I watched that movie, and I felt a sense of boldness. Because isn't that what Ezra said? When I saw what God was doing, it encouraged me to be bold. I, I felt the hand of God on me. So he said a guy, uh, Tyler drives for WTA, a guy got on the bus, kind of grumpy, kind of cranky, not very happy, and he just felt bold to say, can I, are you okay? Can I pray for you? 
And it just softened the guy up. And he talked about, hey, I think he had a medical situation. He was just getting over and just changed. And Tyler was like, God's with me. God can move any hand. We've seen that through this. He can move Artaxerxes' hand. He can move the guy on the bus that's upset. He can move the general of the Iraqi army to allow them in. So I just want to encourage you. If you're in a workplace and it seems like, oh, it's just horrible there and God's not moving at all, he can move something. If you're in your family, there's just no open door. God can open a door. I just want to encourage you to keep trusting and keep praying and keep asking. He can move. All right, the third one is resist the drift, living by faith in vivid reality. I want to see what faith sometimes in our mind means I subscribe to a set of core doctrines. I believe Jesus is the only son of God. I believe he died on the cross. And we think that's faith. I believe the right things. But faith is actually getting it into action and trusting God in a real situation. So let me show you that. We're going to jump into chapter 8. First part of chapter 8 is a whole bunch of people that are going with him. I'm not going to read names really quick again. I might not get enough air in. So go to verse 15. He says, I gathered them. He gathered all the people that are going to go. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava. And there we camped three days as I reviewed the people and the priests. And so there's some people missing. He gets them. That's, we're going to skip that part of the story. But verse 21, 821 says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and our goods. Remember how much gold we just read he was carrying? (laughs) Gold. He had all kinds of money. This is ripe for a a robbery, a piracy, right? They're not just going on a walk. They're going on a walk loaded down with the king's money. So it's a little bit scary. So they're praying. God, they're fasting, praying. Listen to this. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath against all who forsake him. Right? So we fasted and implored our God for this. And he listened. Do you get that? He's like, we just told the king, this is the king of all. You want to worship him? Don't oppose him. We're a little bit scared to walk there, though. Can you send a band of soldiers? He was like, I, can't, I couldn't ask him for that. I just told him God's hand is with us. We don't need his soldiers. And they're like, we better start praying right now. Right? That's, that's faith in living reality. I believe in God. Do you believe him enough to walk four months carrying the king's gold and that you're not going to get robbed and killed on the way? That's vivid faith. right? That's living reality faith. And they make it. right? Then we departed. To go, I just, and they made it. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us. He does it. He does it. Right? This is vivid faith. I'm actually going to have to trust him. Not in a human way. I'm going to put it to the test. I'm going to, if God wants to do it, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to fast. And I just encourage you to add that in. This is a fast for God's help. There's different reasons people fast, but here this is one where they're saying, I'm not going to eat any food. I'm not going to do anything but call on God's help. I'm humbling myself to need only your help. That's living faith. And it can be 
complicated, like a four-month journey loaded down with gold, it can be basic. I'll just tell one, and, and it doesn't always go right, because this one didn't always go right. Uh, I was thinking this, and I had the boys out for ice cream the other night at Dairy Queen. And I was trying to tell them, I had my three boys, Caden, T.T., and Kellen, and I was thinking in my mind, I want them to start learning to hear God's voice and be ready to respond. So he said, let's pray and see if there's anybody God wants us to help while we're out here. So we prayed in the car, and they had different ideas. Dad, I think I might, we might see someone in a purple coat. And I said, all right, we'll look for a purple coat. We didn't see anybody in a purple coat. So a few, it's like, does that guy have a purple coat? No, that's more of a black coat. Okay, we're not helping him. So <laughs> we're praying, and we're sitting in the ice cream eating, and I just sense the Lord say, buy two cheeseburgers. Like, okay, we get two cheeseburgers. So we're sitting there and just say, boys, let's see who God wants us to give these two cheeseburgers to. And we look out, and there's two gals sitting in the Cordata DQ is right next to the bus station up here, the Cordata station. And there's two gals sitting in one of the, the, the glass booths, I guess, and didn't look homeless, just sitting there listening to music. I don't know. I said, guys, let's go over and talk to them. There's two people. We got two hamburgers. Let's go. So we walk over. How you doing? Here's some hamburgers. And they were a little bit, what's going on here? And I said, is there anything we can pray for you about or do you need help with anything? Like, no, 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 we're good. So we take about two steps away, and Caden says, well, that didn't work. <laughs> so we had a little review of when do you talk about this, but uh, save that for the car, buddy. But the point was, let's just put ourselves in this pot where God's got to work. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know where those two cheeseburgers were going to go. Who knows? They could have told me they were in terrible shape and they were on the run from something. I don't know. We didn't know. So it was just in a moment we said, God, use us in some way. And so I would encourage that in your life. Lord, I don't know how this coworker's doing. I'm going to go talk to him today. Give me the courage to just go say, how are you doing? Or, or whatever it is that you actually put yourself in a spot where God's got to show up. I'm going to make this four-month walk with a lot of gold. And if you don't show up, we're probably going to get robbed and killed. Right? I just, but we're going to ask you to do it. And so that's where we got to put our faith really out there. I'm really going to do this. So here we are. Resist the drift, devoted to the word, and living by faith. Resist it. We want to be just soaking in God's word, living by faith, both knowing he can do anything, and then we're really going to put ourselves out there. Because we just don't want to miss it. I'll tell this final story and we'll wrap it up. I remember years ago I went river rafting. And uh, one of the stops we make, we pull off in camp, had a swimmer's rapid. You ever heard of a swimmer's rapid? It means it's a rapid you can jump in and swim through with your life jacket. You don't have to be in the boat. It's deep. It means you're not going to like smack on a rock. So we were, there was a swimmer's rapid and we were swimming. And you kind of ride the wave almost like... Uh, like if you're in a wave pool or something, at the bottom of the wave, you want to kind of push up and you'll, you'll ride the waves right through this rapid. It's really fun, but it's kind of scary too because as you're coming in, all you see is wave. And so you kind of ride it. But if you time it wrong, you go through every wave. So, but they had a safety boat beyond the rapid because they basically said, once you come through the swimmer's rapid and you see the boat, swim for shore because the next rapid is not a swimmer's rapid. You don't want to go through it. So I get in there, and I time it wrong. Bam, wave, bam, wave. 
And at one moment, I actually went under the water. But when you're hitting waves, you don't really know. Am I under the water? Am I in a wave? And so I'm under the water, and I'm staying calm, and I pop up, and I look, and then I turn around, and I'm actually past the safety boat. So I'm like, huh. You know, in this moment, I'm like, I, I, I actually went under it, but I didn't know it because I was, didn't know if I was up or down. So I'm like, huh, I'm past the safety boat. That's not a swimmer's rapid. So I start, if you ever try to swim against a river, you really can't. And they finally look up. They're like, well, hey, he's past the swimmers, you know, the safety. So they row down and they got me. That was a little terrifying for a moment as I proceeded to the next rapid. And, but the point was it happened like that. I mean, it's just like that. I thought I was underwater for a second. Next thing I know, I passed the safety boat and I was going the wrong way. And that can happen in our faith, right? You may be going along and just in a moment... You can pass the safety. And so I just want to encourage you, <laughs> this is safe. God's word is safe. God's direction for your life is safe. And if we start neglecting it, you can get past the safety boat and head to a swimmer's rapid, a non-swimmer's rapid, and trouble's coming. And you're going to get beat up, and it's not going to be good to you. Because God is true and good and loving and has it for you. So I want to encourage us, and especially students, dig into this thing, anyone working with students, you can teach. You can know it, live it, teach it. It doesn't have to be formal. It doesn't have to be preaching. It can be one-to-one. I want to show some people, this is what's safe. This is what's good. And then I want to encourage us to just trust God to move anything, anyone, at any time. He can do it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, the fact that you can move the hand of anyone. You can move the hand of someone at our work. You can move the hand of someone in our schools, in our neighborhood, in our government, in our country, in our world. And we just pray. I just pray that you would turn and open doors that allow us to share. Give us a deep hunger for your word and your truth that feeds us, Lord. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.